Welcome back to Pause It For Me. Where do I even begin? Hannah, why don't you tell the listeners what we watched this week? We watched Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, the new film, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, we have a we have two firsts for this podcast. The first of the firsts is that we actually watched a movie that we both already seen, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's true. And I think we watched it together. So we kind of treaded old ground, but it's been a while since we watched it. I had only seen it once. Had you seen it before that? No. The last time we saw it, maybe a year or two ago, was the first time I had seen it. Right. And the second of the two firsts, that's a funny sentence, is that uh, we're actually going to talk about both movies at the same time this time. Because they have so much to do with each other, so much shared DNA, and so much to to compare and contrast that I think it only makes sense to dive into both of them at the same time and just bounce back and forth. What do you think? I agree. Yeah. So that said, uh, let's set it up for our audience here. Uh, well, we'll talk about them sort of starting in the order that we watched them. Cause we watched rescue Rangers first last night. You'd been craving watching it for a few days. You just wanted something kind of light and, and fun loving. Yeah. Uh, so we watched it yesterday and then this morning, um, I, I woke you up and brought you out into the living room with who framed Roger Rabbit just queued up. I wasn't even like, Hey, do you want to watch this or should we watch this? You just walked out and I hit play and you sat down without saying anything. And we, you just acquiesced to the watching <laughs> experience. I mean, it made enough sense to me because it was on my mind as we were watching Chippendale last night. Yeah. So the only other thing I would have maybe put on was Cool World with Brad Pitt. No, it's bad. <laughs> I know it's bad, but that's anyway. Yeah. So, so we'll start. Uh, we'll start off the conversation with Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which came out this year. The logline is as follows: Thirty years after their popular television show ended, Chipmunks Chip, played by John Mulaney, and Dale, played by the name escapes me. Andrew Andy Samberg. Samberg. Yes, Andy Samberg. Live very different lives. When a cast member from the original series mysteriously disappears, the pair must reunite to save their friends. So that's from 2022, directed by Akiva... Something. From the Lonely Island. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, you didn't know who that was? No. Oh. Like, I obviously know the Lonely Island, but I didn't realize one of them directed it, which yeah. makes total sense why Andy Samberg is one of the leads. <laughs> yeah, I think he also directed Popstar. That makes sense. Yeah, because Lonely Island is Andy, Akiva, and Yorma. Right, okay. Yorma Tacone. That's right. Right. And then the other movie that we watched, Who Framed Roger Rabbit from 1988, directed by Robert Zemeckis, Woo. who I'm a fan of, Back mm -hmm. to the Future, Castaway. The list goes on. Pol Polar Express, oddly enough, because there was a Polar Express joke in uh, Chippendale. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? A tune-hating detective, played by Bob Hoskins, is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he is accused of murder. Classic. Classic. It's a classic. Well, it's a classic now, because sure. it's been a long time. I feel like at the time, it was kind of a mixed reaction to it, right? Where are you getting this from? Well, I just feel like some people could maybe be turned off by, like, an adult cartoon thing at the time. Of course, that's normal now. I don't know anything about what the reaction was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I know it was a very expensive movie at the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It costs... 
somewhere it, it, it's kind of an estimated budget. I got differing figures depending on where I looked. Somewhere between seven or fifty million and seventy million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as a coincidence, Chippendale Rescue Rangers also cost seventy million, but that's seventy million in twenty twenty two money. That's true with so, inflation yeah. and stuff. Get different. Uh, get get different mileage out of that fifty to seventy million. Yeah. Of course, like animation, it it was so much more impressive in the eighties because there wasn't anything like it at that point. Whereas now it's like animation is, you know, I it's definitely hard, I'm sure, but it's the techniques that have been developed are easier. Right. Well, in true pause for me fashion, we haven't talked about the movies since we watched them. Chip and Dale, we didn't say anything about Roger Rabbit we had seen before, and we kind of made a couple comments here and there. After Roger Rabbit, we also, I threw on, uh, to refresh ourselves, a video by Captain Christian, um, which talks about the animation in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, which we'll get into a little later. But since you were, I would say, the most excited to watch Chip and Dale, because we watched it first, I, I have a lot to say. I, I don't know if you it could glean that, but since since you were most excited... Why don't you hit me with your thoughts first? Well, I'm assuming you didn't like the movie, but I mean, I could totally be wrong. Where, Chip, why are, where are you getting this assumption from? You were just pretty silent throughout. And I feel like maybe you weren't trying to say anything negative because you didn't like want me to have a bad time, but you weren't into it. That's just, you know, I could be wrong. I wanted to watch this not because I thought it would be maybe objectively good. I just thought it would be a fun time. Mm -hmm. Like one of those kind of like sick day movies you throw on, like this is going to make me feel good. And maybe it's a little bit cheesy, a little bit bad, but it's still kind of a nice, good ride that you don't have to overthink. Okay. I will say, I mean, since we've been watching movies for this podcast, I've been trying to say less during movies. So that I don't kind of spoil what I thought or things that I might want to say on the podcast. So that's why that's why I was pretty silent during the experience. That's fair. I I snickered a couple times, mm-hmm. and I would point out like dumb things in the frame. I'd be like, "Bird," <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> just to make myself laugh, stuff like that. So, what did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. I think some of the writing was good. And I think occasionally I rolled my eyes or I wish that it was better. And one thing that I gleamed from this new Chip and Dale was there was definitely adult references that the kids would not understand, but it was more quote unquote family friendly. Whereas Who Framed Roger Rabbit was definitely less family friendly, even though it had a PG rating at the time. I think it was one of the things that created PG-13. That's possible. Because it was about like straight up murder. Whereas Chip and Dale was like, oh, they're getting plastic surgery and making bootleg movies. Well, and it was about cheese, which was obviously a drug for Monterey Jack. But it was a little more coded language. Whereas Jessica Rabbit is like va-va-voom. And like they're drinking lots of alcohol. And it's a little more adult. Yeah. And, you know, I think they maybe swear a little bit, whereas Chippendale was, I think they were trying to make it, like, enjoyable for adults, but if a kid was in the room, it wouldn't be, like, a huge deal. That That's what I was gathering from it. Fair enough, yeah. Um, I thought it was junk. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't think you would. Well, you don't like Andy Samberg, really. Which is That's weird. not true. You like the Lonely Island, but you don't like him on his own or something? I have nothing against Andy Samberg, just like I have nothing against Adam Sandler. I have simply never seen Andy Samberg really in anything that I liked him in. I don't dislike Andy Samberg as a person or as an actor or as a musician. It's just like any like trailer for anything that I've seen or any any full movie that I've seen, like Hot Rod. Hot Rod's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And anybody who's listening to this who just gasped when I said that, I challenge you to fight me on this and come on this podcast and defend Hot Rod because I freaking hate it. Some people like it. It's just different. Well, some people like bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you can say it's objectively or subjectively, you know, like I I didn't love everything about it, but I had a good time watching it. I, I Hot Rod? Know. Well, both. You know, I didn't dislike Hot Rod. There was maybe some moments where I rolled my eyes. Like, Dunk. one of my least favorite things is people repeating jokes in an order to make it more funny or something. Yeah. And Will Arnett says, like, his girlfriend's name over and over and over and over and over again. And it's, like, it's a little bit funny and then gets so not funny. And then maybe it's, like, a little funny again, but it, like, really treads that line and it's... Pretty obnoxious. Are we still talking about Chippendale or Hot Rod? Well, you know, shared DNA. You got the Lonely Island. You got Will Arnett as like a villainous character in that. And then he's also the villainous character in Peter Pan. Or as, yeah, Peter, he, Pan. as Peter Pan. Wait, Will Arnett film. was in Hot Rod? Yeah. I don't remember this at all. Yeah. But he, which movie were you talking about when you said he says his girlfriend's name? Hot Rod? Hot Rod. When's the last time you saw this movie? Uh, college. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think I saw it in high school. You have a much better memory than me for, for weird Random stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess it sticks out more to me. So Chippendale. <laughs> Chippendale. Junk. Okay. I mean, that's kind of why I started out with where do I begin? I, there was a lot that I didn't like about this. That's fine. I, I didn't think it was a perfect movie. I... Enjoyed it for what it was, and I snickered a couple times. I don't know if I would recommend it to adults. I would maybe recommend it to children. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I don't often fall asleep during movies. <laughs> Very oh, no. rare. But I was fading during Chippendale. Okay, to be fair, we were watching it at like 11 at night. We constantly watch movies at 11 at night. <laughs> Well, we've been getting up early lately. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, but just like, okay, I think I'll start with, with Chip and Dale. Okay. Yeah. I'll try and prove, prove a point here. Andy Samberg and John Mulaney. Yeah. Right? Okay. I'm going to hit you with this. Do an impression of Roger Rabbit from Roger Rabbit. And go. Uh, I really needed that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, now do an impression. Put on the spot. Do an impression of Dale from Chip and Dale, played by Andy Samberg. It's just his voice. It's just his voice. So, first things first, they are offering absolutely nothing here. Those roles could have been played by anyone. Right, because on the show they had like high pitched voices, which they said like were actors, and they like put on the voice. Right. But I'm not saying like, hey, I need the high-pitched voice. I'm just saying you can tell that Andy Samberg and John Mulaney are not voice actors. 
Because what they did was they came into the recording booth and they stepped in front of the mic and they read the lines that were on the script in front of them. And it was like, hey, it's me. I'm Andy Samberg. I'm playing Dale in Chip and Dale. Yeah. And here we go. Yeah, Rescue Rangers. Like, absolutely nothing. They're bringing nothing to the character. Nothing to the table. I don't disagree. But that's sometimes what made it funny is they're clearly just riffing to me. Like, I chuckled when John Mulaney was like, I got a message on my landline. That can't be good. <laughs> so dumb. I mean, that's like, that's the extent of the comedy. Yeah. And, and, and like, the thing that I hate about modern sort of like comedies like this is the stupid, like observational humor of like classic example of, of show don't tell, or in this case, tell don't show. Like there were many, there were many times in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it was like a blink and you miss it joke, you know, like uh, the musical chairs, right? There's a box that says musical chairs. You see that it says musical chairs for like half a second before it bursts open and then the chairs start playing instruments. And that's a joke that lasts a few seconds, but it doesn't need to be explained to you. Like, if you see it, you get it. Musical chairs, they're yeah. chairs that play music. But... You know, it's not like Bob Hoskins is being like, oh, I hate those musical chairs, you know, or like, you know, that's that would happen constantly in Chip and Dale was like there would be a kind of funny blink and you miss it joke. And then John Mulaney would be like, well, how about that thing over there? That's pretty crazy. And it's like, thank you for spelling yeah. it out for me. I'm I'm a stupid uh, doo-doo head kid watching this and I need the jokes explained to me. That, thank, you, thank you very much, John Mulaney. That's what makes me think that they... Knowing Dan Greger, I feel like they probably pitched this as an adult film and Disney was like, the only way you can make it is you have to dumb it down for kids. Oh, such a waste. Such a waste of time. Because I thought it was going to be cool. You know? I thought it was going to be pretty cool. But like, just this stupid modern style of comedy where it's like, we see the joke, the joke plays out. Now let's explain the joke to yeah. make sure everybody in the audience gets it. Because we don't want to waste that joke. Well, here's a good example of that that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. Is when we first saw like Ugly Sonic in the background, I snickered because I'm like, that that's a that's funny, kinda funny funny modern reference. Yeah. But then they made him like a character and they talk to him and stuff. I'm like, yes. I, I don't really need that. I just kind <laughs> yeah. of wish it was just like a throwaway joke in the background. I totally agree. We, I felt the exact same way about that. Mm -hmm. Just this, this style. Like I'm not, I'm not into having everything like, you know, beat me over the head with it. Right. Yeah. And I again, agree. going, going back to show, don't tell the movie opens and Andy Samberg's like, Hey, my name's Dale. I'm a chipmunk. I used to be on the show called Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It was a real cool time and we had Gadget and Monterey Jack and around for three years and I was there with my best. It's like, dude, just show the show and we'll get it. Show it for like five seconds and then do like a cross yeah. dissolve into what the characters look like now. It's like, okay, we get it. That's we don't need like dialogue explaining the backstory and doing like tell don't show. This is like movie making 101. This is what makes me think it's oriented to kids because they wouldn't have seen the original show as it aired. Kids are not as dumb I, as movie producers I'm, seem to think they are. I know that, but 
movie producers tend to be like, the audience isn't going to get this. We have to really beat it over people's heads. If you show an old looking TV with fuzzy VHS lines and old looking animation, and then you transition to CGI Dale and you show like 2022 or whatever, they'll, they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not that hard. I, I don't disagree. But, you know, again, it's just... Sometimes there's studio interference, especially with something like Disney. I mean, okay, so going back a little bit, you like Andy Samberg and you like John Mulaney. You, yeah. You've watched, like, as far as I know, all of John Mulaney's stand-up specials. Yeah. You watch a lot of Andy Samberg stuff. You watch, I think you watch all of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I did. That doesn't mean I love everything that Andy Samberg does joke-wise. But my question is, do you feel like they brought their trademark humor you know, forgetting about like making Chip and Dale their own characters or whatever, you know, they cast John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. Do you think they brought the John Mulaney and Andy Samberg touch to these characters? At times. Like what so, times? Dale is a little more like a wisecracking lazy guy. And that's usually the type of characters that Andy Samberg plays. Mm-hmm. Like on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, his character is known for being like super messy and like making lots of mistakes, being kind of a bit of a buffoon, but still capable. Um, so what I'm getting from this is that Andy Samberg's like typecast. E- well, probably. That's no fun. I, I would love to see him sort of do an Adam Sandler thing where he does like a really serious role. I think mm-hmm. that could be really interesting. Has he never done one? Nothing comes to mind, really. Was Palm Springs like so comedic? Yeah. Or whatever that movie's called? It is It is better, though, because it is a little bit darker than he usually does. Right. But it is, it is comedic. Right. Also has J.K. Simmons in it. J.K. Simmons. We'll, we'll get to him. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then John Mulaney. John Mulaney is sort of more of like a, even though he is a comedian, he he has like a straight man vibe. You know what I mean? Like sort of 1940s, like I'm the type A type guy. And like that fits in with sort of the chip side of things so yeah like in a way he's like he's like the more of the guy that points out stuff or whatever so in that way yes but it's more like watered down versions of themselves i mean it is cartoon though it's like it really didn't seem like you know they had played it seemed like they were cast because they had maybe played roles that were similar in the past but that they really didn't bring much to these characters to make them any different from any of those previous roles. Well, it was definitely more of a star vehicle thing. Like, yeah. isn't it interesting that Andy Samberg is playing a chipmunk? Whereas someone that's super talented like Tress McNeil is just doing her thing in the background. I know. And speaking of that, you know, we'll, uh, we'll add the sting. Andy's Trivia Corner. Here it is. Or whatever. What was dun, it that you dun, called it? Dun. Yeah, I do. There you go. Yeah. Andy's trivia corner. I actually, I had a lot of trouble coming up with or finding trivia for this movie that was interesting enough to read on the podcast. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, on the other hand, had so much interesting trivia, I had a hard time choosing between things of what to read. Well, the production was so much more fascinating, whereas... For sure. In 2022, an animated film is just not as hard to do. 
Well, I have a lot to say about the animation too, but just on the topic of voice actors for a second, um, I'll, let me hit you with this. Although Jim Cummings did not reprise his role of Monterey Jack in this film, he did star in this film by reprising his role of Fat Cat from the TV series, along with the roles of Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, and Pete when shown in a bootleg parody, and also voiced Darkwing Duck, who made a brief cameo appearance at the ending of the movie. But so, why not Monterey Jack? Yeah, this to say, like, I hate when, you know, animated movies or movies that involve, involve voice actors do this, where... They'll take a character that has been played for years by a very talented voice actor and they'll just like replace them with a star for like not even that many lines of dialogue. And it feels so unjustified. Like I'm pretty sure Space Jam did this with a couple different characters. I'm sure. Through Looney Tunes. And this this movie definitely did it because Tress McNeil is like one of the only voice actors from the original show to come back. We're not fans of the original show, by the way. I mean, I wouldn't no. say so. I, I don't think I even really watched it as a kid, but I appreciate I'm it. I'm aware of its existence. It's got a good theme song. Yeah. But Tress McNeil, they brought her back because I guess they figured like, oh, it's only a couple lines, whatever. But of course, you know, they recasted uh, Chip and Dale. That's kind of to be expected because their voice had a filter on it anyway. And they, they, want, they want it to be a star vehicle, like you said. Mm-hmm. But Monterey Jack, like, the voice actor for Monterey Jack was in the movie already, like, five times. And they were like, well, Monterey Jack's got a uh, significant amount of lines in there. Mm, should we give it Should we give it to Jim Cummings? No. You know who we're going give it, to give it to? Eric Bana. Yeah, what's Eric Bana up to? Nothing. He played Hulk in the 2003 Ang Lee Hulk. Time then, Traveler's Wife. Like, yeah. Why? Why Eric Bana instead of the guy who did it, who you're hiring anyway to do all of his other famous roles? Well, it's, I don't know. To me, it was like, Jim Cummings was like, I don't want to do it. In my think? In my head, he was like, I don't want to do it for whatever reason. But he's like, I'll, bu- I'll do all these other things. I don't know why he would say that. It seems weird. Jim Cummings is a legend, by the way. He is a legend. He's awesome. I was excited to hear him as Pooge. <laughs> the bootleg that that, that yeah. really got me for some reason he's like pooge the fat honey bear oh, i'm gonna rumbly in my tumbly yeah that really got me yeah he's a great this, yeah. this is what i'm saying one of my favorite documentaries is called i know that voice it's right. a documentary about voice actors and i i love the realm of voice actors i love going on behind the voiceactors.com and researching who played what and what else and all that so i love voice actors i love the craft and i respect the crap out of them and to just hear andy samberg and john mulaney just like walking into the studio being like all right give me the paycheck i'm gonna read the lines hey hey i'm andy samberg i'm dale all right see you later guys i'm going home for the day it just feels like so disrespectful to so many talented voice actors out there who could have done so much more with that role. Not that the material was amazing. I don't disagree. I mean, that in mind, though, Toy Story, one of your favorite films of all time, Mm -hmm. was a star vehicle as well with Tom Hanks and Tim Allen as the lead. You know, they weren't really voice actors before that. However, Toy Story had these new characters. Woody and Buzz were, were, was brand new. You know, <laughs> as the kid from Back to the Future would say, another Robert Zemeckis That's joint. True. Toy Story had had new characters, whereas this was 
as I said, previously established characters. It's Space Jam. Sorry, when I said Space Jam earlier, I think I meant Space Jam 2, the new one. Right. Recasting people. It was like, okay, we need to bring in, I think like Zendaya was. Yeah, Lola Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's the same sort of thing where Chip and Dale recasted roles that already had iconic voice actors voicing them. But Tom Hanks and Tim Allen were coming to, to Woody and Buzz fresh. So that's more understandable, you know, mm-hmm. especially because I do think that Tom Hanks is really talented and brought a lot to that role. And, I agree. And so did, so did Tim Allen. I think you know? they're a good example of the use of that because, you know, when you think of Woody, you think of Woody. You're not just like, to me anyways, you're not just hearing, oh, this is Tom Hanks like reading at a booth. Right, exactly. Like you can't say Woody could be played by anybody. If Toy Story 4 had come out and Woody was played by somebody else, unless maybe it was Jim Hanks, yeah, it would have it, it would have been a disaster. I agree. It would have been garbage, mm-hmm. you know? But like Rescue Rangers could have had anybody in those roles and they probably would have done a better job. Yeah, maybe. I don't like... Again, like, I wasn't expecting it to be, like, a flawless film. I was like, this is going to be one of those films that you just throw on. Oh, really? I was expecting it to be flawless. Oh, okay. With the Andy Samberg touch. I mean, come on. Well, it was like, to me, I sometimes I like to watch kind of crappy, in my mind, crappy films. Like, you know, like, Knocked Up. It's like, I'm not expecting that I'm going to love Knocked Up, but I'm just going to watch it because, you know, I can, like, turn my brain off. Okay, so yeah, that brings into question, like, why did I have such high expectations for this? Mm -hmm. And that leads us right into Roger Rabbit, which is that, that shared DNA that I talked about before. Chippendale Rescue Rangers is a clear send up. Of Roger Rabbit. Definitely. Not just because it involves animated characters being in a live action world, but because it's trying to do that same thing of bringing these animated characters from different movies and TV and stuff and putting them in the same world for these little cameos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't buy the argument that it's not a, a, you know, a tribute, a send up to Roger Rabbit because there's clues all throughout it. Right. So I don't know if you noticed this, but, uh, you know, there's a scene where they they bump a lamp in Chippendale. I think it's the scene where like they're they're flung through a window uh, into the bathroom. They bump the lamp. That's a clear reference to bumping the lamp in Roger Rabbit, yeah. which we uh, we watched a video essay that, that involved that. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about necessarily, uh, I'll, I have Andy's Trivia Corner. Once again, when Eddie takes Roger Rabbit into the back room at the bar where Dolores works to cut apart the handcuffs, the lamp from the ceiling is bumped and swinging. Lots of extra work was needed to make the shadows match between the actual room shots and the animation. Today, bump the lamp is a term used by many Disney employees to refer to going that extra mile on an effect just to make it a little more special, even though most audience members will never notice it. Did you clock that? About the lamp? In Chippendale. That they that they bumped the lamp? No, I don't think that I did. So I actually rewound it uh, when we watched it and you were kind of, I think you're kind of like, what are you doing? Uh, during a bathroom break just to see like it's, it's very intentional they they bump the lamp and the whole point of bumping the lamp is that with the swinging light you're casting shadows and light shadows and light back and forth which makes the animation a lot more difficult which is why that scene is now so famous in Roger Rabbit that the animators had to do so much extra work to really sell the effect right. and, and I thought it was so ironic that they chose to do a send-up to Roger Rabbit in that way 
because I found the animation specifically on Chip in this movie to be absolute garbage. Yeah, it... In my mind, it was, I mean, maybe this is just out of a laziness, but I thought that they were throwing it back to the style that it was originally from. So the style it was originally from didn't have, you know, lots of light and shadow detail, whereas more modern animation has a lot of that. Right. I would, I actually fundamentally disagree with that because- What I saw on the animation of of mainly Chip, but also like Monterey Jack and the other characters from the show and a couple of other animated characters here and there was a total cheat. What I saw wasn't that they were like, okay, let's put pen to paper and draw out Chip and draw the animation frames and have it look like the animation on Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. To me, it was so clear that they made a 3D model of Chip and then animated the 3D model to look 2D so that they wouldn't actually have to draw animation frames and could just save time and money by totally cheating and not doing 2D animation at all. And I thought it looked terrible. That's probably correct. And it looked kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the film, A Scanner Darkly. Mm-mm. It's like a weird, uh, what's, what's the director who did School of Rock? I always forget his name. School of Rock and, and Before Sunset, Sunrise. Yeah. That guy. Um, Not Hitchcock. No, I wasn't saying Hitchcock. <laughs> hey, Google, who directed School of Rock? No, you're going to set everyone's School Googles Rock off. Directed by Richard, Richard Linklater. Linklater. It's a Richard Linklater film with Keanu Reeves and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Where they, they do like rotoscoping. So like they filmed the whole movie and then they rotoscoped the actors but because it's rotoscoped, it doesn't look 2D. It looks 3D. Or maybe they just recreated it in 3D. I'm not sure. But what I'm getting at is in this movie, all those characters who are supposedly 2D, that was a total irony to me, was that there's there's supposed to be like a distinction between Chip, who is 2D, and Dale, who is 3D. Right. And, and you know, all detailed out in CGI and stuff. But Chip and those other characters were so clearly, to me, 3D models that, like, sure, if you paused the movie, they look 2D. But the way they move, you can tell that they're, like, three-dimensional objects with which with lines moving around them. And I thought, again, that seemed so lazy and and such, a, such an ironic difference between Roger Rabbit and this was in Roger Rabbit, they're like, we're going to put in the extra effort to have all these layers with, like, you know, the track mask and, and the shadow and, and the highlights and all that right. to make sure that everything looks correct. And then Chippendale was like, no, we're just going to kind of cheat it and save time. Yeah, there was some things that they were like holding things. And I feel like the, the shadows didn't really line up right. sometimes. Like, if he was holding, like, a piece of cake or something, it's like, well, the lighting on the cake looks completely different than him. Right. And I feel like a technique in... You can correct me on this, because you probably remember more of this. A technique in 2D animation is you, like, motion blur. Mm-hmm. So you you make it look like it's a smooth motion, but it's not. And it's a very specific style and vibe. Yeah. That if you're doing, like, sort of a flash animation... 
uh, smearing, com- I think is what yeah, computer of. animation hand drawn thing. It it won't always look like that original style. Right. So it's kind of like you draw the main key uh, keyframes. That's where the term comes from, keyframes. Right. And then the the in betweens, the tweening sort of uh, is like slightly. If they're making like swift, rapid movements, can be slightly messier. So if you if you watch it as it's animated and as it's played back, it looks nice and smooth. But if you were to pause it in the middle of that motion, you would see the character's features all like smeared like that. But that's a deliberate technique to really like sell that motion blur. And I feel like this isn't apparent in that. And that's what makes it feel jarring to our eyes. It's the same yeah. thing as we're used to seeing films as like 24 frames per second. And then if you have a film that's like 60 frames per second, you're like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. So so the laziness of the animation is just something that kept taking me out of the movie and I just couldn't get past. And I actually have a few visual aids here for you. I'm going to show you these on my phone. You saw me taking pictures of the TV screen. And uh, you were like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm prepping for the podcast. (laughs) So uh, for those of you at home, I'll uh, I'll superimpose these pictures. in the in the video version, audio listeners. I'll describe. Sorry, you're it. out of luck. No, I'll describe the photos. Um, so here, I've got I've got some uh, some stuff from Roger Rabbit. You can see my main complaint was that every every frame of Chip from Chip and Dale, Chip like lifted right out. He may as well have been a sticker on the frame. He didn't look like he belonged <laughs> he did in the like scene as well. Yeah. Right? So we look at this scene. It's one of the first scenes in Roger Rabbit. And you see the lighting on him is consistent with the lighting in the set around him. That's true. And then as he walks into the shadow, he gets darker. And you see spill from reflected objects around him. He gets dark. And then when he walks underneath this light, the part of the, the part of him that's pointing towards the light is brighter. And the backside of him that's facing towards the shadow is darker. Right? Mm-hmm. This is like lighting 101. It's like yeah. match match the character to the scene that that's lit around you, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's not just with animation, but with, with, uh, you know, live action filmmaking, you'll have an incidental light in the scene that probably isn't throwing that much light on your actor, but you want to, you want your off camera lighting to be coming from the same direction as that incidental lighting. Right. So then he's, as he continues to walk out, uh, of that scene, you know, he walks into the doorway and you can see the way that the light bends around him from the side that it's hitting him down to the shadowy side, right? That's true, yeah. And you're th- you might be thinking like, you know, that's that's obvious. That's how you would light a character that's in a yeah. scene, right? With animation, that's a lot trickier. Right. But then if we go to Chip and Dale here, you can see in this frame here, it just, it looks like Chip is a sticker placed right on the frame. You see that Dale is lit with lighting coming from outside that's like blue-ish light lighting coming from the right side blue-ish light that fades to shadow in the middle of his face that wraps around to lighting coming from the inside that's orange light that's like tungsten light and then we move over to chip and it's just like no completely flat even lighting that's true and it's, it's even more apparent in this here you see dale is completely shrouded in darkness you almost can't even see him whereas chip is Again, completely evenly lit. And as as Dale walks out of the darkness and more light is spilled on his face, Chip still looks exactly the same. And then finally, when Dale walks into the light and they start to look like they're in the same light, Chip looks exactly the same as he's looked walking through that entire dark hallway. 
it's just like garbage animation. It's trash. Yeah, that's that's really a shame though because I've seen really great 2D animation that has good use of shadows. Like yeah. Batman the Animated Series, Steven Universe, etc. Yeah. And like this movie was made in 2022 or 2021, I assume, with a budget of $70 million. I guarantee you that some lonely independent animator who's sitting at home would have loved to have put his all into 2D traditionally animating chip in those scenes for like $200 a day. I guarantee you. <laughs> well, yeah. Or like a lot less than however much money it costs to animate chip in those scenes. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. And I got a couple more examples here. Like here, there's a character who looks dimly lit because he's in a room that's dimly lit. You know, and we go to Jessica Rabbit here. She's standing in the spotlight. And as she walks in front of the spotlight between the camera and the spotlight, she gets dark because mm -hmm. the light's no longer shining on her face. Right. And she's backlit by the spotlight. Yeah. And the light bends her around her in a realistic way. And as she interacts with Eddie and puts her hand in his jacket, it looks like she's part of the scene and it sells the effect because they put in the effort to animate them in such a way that it looks like they're in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Who'd have thunk? And again, the irony is that Chip and Dale totally did this for Dale only. I'm guessing it's easier to do it in 3D animation. Who's to than, say? Well, because why would they do it for one character and then not for the other? I don't know. Maybe it was I, an, it, an intentional effect, but to, to, me, to me, like, seems like I could have done better. I could have animated Chip better, and I am not an animator. I swear. Give me a That's year. That's a bold statement. Give me a year, and I could have done a better job. Okay. Well, I know you're a very talented person that is persistent. In some things, maybe. But. So, I, if you were given a year, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But maybe. It just shows the it's, lack... The it lack seems of like it effort. Was intentional. It shows it shows lack of effort sure. to me that they were just like, "Yep, doesn't matter what environment Chip is in, just animate him and just like stick him in there and whatever. It doesn't matter, you know." It seems like they were trying to make him look less lifelike, though. Like, I feel like a lot of more modern animation embraces shadows and texture, and it's like almost maybe like a little too realistic looking. Like Pixar movies, you can always see like detail on like a sweater or something. So how do you how do you rationalize that then based on what we just saw in Roger Rabbit? Like, do you think that Roger Rabbit went too far in terms of shadow and lighting and made Roger look too realistic? Or do you think, as I feel, that Roger looks like a cartoon character in a live action world? I definitely think that they took way more steps to make cartoon and humans um, integrated in right. Roger Rabbit. And do you think it was successful? Do you think it looks good? I think it was successful because they purposely were doing manipulation with props to get like the correct lighting. Yeah. And then they animated afterwards and they were very consistent and aware of what kind of tonal quality is hitting the characters. Yeah, they put in the time and effort. So that movie was made in 1988, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a long time in between then and t 2022. I don't I feel like there's no excuse for them not to put that level of of care and attention into the animation of Chippendale. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that doing animated lighting is a lot easier 
these Today. Days. Yeah, exactly. that's what I'm saying. Like, because I know there's certain techniques and certain software where you can place where your lights are and where the camera, the audience is supposed to be in the scene to do animating techniques like that. So that's a lot easier than just, you know, observing the quality of light and then trying to draw it to the specifications. There's a lot more cheats these days right. to achieve those effects. Yeah. So I think instead of animating like one stock chip that looks the same, basically no matter where you put him, they should have animated like a test version, a 3D test version of chip to place in a, in a virtual lighting scheme to understand how the light would be hitting him in that scene and then use that as a reference to draw a 2D version of chip. That is a good idea, yeah. Because honestly, now that I'm thinking about it even more, what it seems like they were doing was trying to say, oh, look how good the animation is on Dale. Isn't CGI ultra hyper-realistic animation the way of the future, you know? And doesn't Dale, or doesn't Chip with his stupid 2D animation, doesn't he look like crap? Doesn't he look like garbage? Yeah, 2D animation's a way, the thing of the past. I definitely- Now it seems like that's what they're doing. That's possible. I think it's just show more um, comparison, contrast, like look how hyper-realistic Dale looks and, you know- Chip looks like he's from the 80s. Yeah. Like a TV cartoon. Okay, so let me take a deep breath here. I'm going to calm down a bit. Let's take a trip back to Andy's trivia corner and and read my second and final piece of trivia for Chip and Dale because I didn't find anything else as interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the start of the film, there's a director, shot of a director who says, and cut, that's a wrap, folks. And this is actually, when I clocked this when I was watching it and I was like, kind of looks like Steven Spielberg. You know who it was? Who? It was Akiva dressed up as Steven Spielberg. That is really funny. And that's that's all the interesting trivia for Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It feels like it's definitely a send up as well to Roger Rabbit because Steven Spielberg was like a producer on it. Yeah, and a frequent collaborator of Robert Zemeckis. Correct. And, you know, I, I didn't quite uh, finish what I was saying that started this whole animation debate. Um, with Bumping the Lamp. Bumping the, Bumping the Lamp was not the only reference to Roger Rabbit in Chip and Nail. I think Roger Rabbit, if not Roger and Jessica Rabbit, made an appearance in the movie. But then on top of that, there we was a scene... About Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, there was a scene where one of the characters rolls out uh, just a, a thing. I don't know what to call it. A little pocket, a little rolled up thing with sleeves in it that had stuff in pockets. What do you call that? <laughs> A rolled up sleeve that had stuff in. I, I no, a rolled up thing that has pockets in. Never mind. I have anyway, no idea what you're talking. Moving about. on. In one of those little pockets is a can of dip. Okay. Oh. From okay. Yeah. Roger Rabbit. Sure. Yeah. That makes so, sense. so that's like at least three clear uh, references uh, to Roger Rabbit. Four, if you count Steven Spielberg, that say to me that they were really trying to say this is a modern day Roger Rabbit. And as right. far as I'm concerned, they missed the mark so hard. They tried. No, they didn't. They didn't <laughs> try. Well, they tried. We they know. tried for know. Dale. They tried for J.K. Simmons's character, who I actually loved. Because it's a send up to your favorite Gumby. I do love me some Gumby. I love Gumby the movie from the 90s. Available on Tubi. Go watch it. See, that's sort of a thing that it's like, this is an adult reference. I mean, and a kid can enjoy it, but it's like Gumby is super old. But I didn't love that character just because he was a send up of Gumby. I loved the character because I loved the way he looked. I loved the way he moved, the Mm -hmm. way that he was animated. I loved the way he was voiced. I love J.K. Simmons. 
but they tailored that character so well to J.K. Simmons and his movements. He moved in such Agreed. a funny way. The lighting, I, I just spent like 10 minutes complaining about how the lighting on Chip didn't match the scene. The lighting on J.K. Simmons' character, I think his name was like Officer Putty, mm-hmm. was beautiful and fantastic. I love the way that they, I think they animated him on twos, which is like having, having two frames per per frame, I guess. It's more of an old school, like, 2D sort of technique. Right. Which is what I'm saying is with Chip, it made him look weird because they weren't animating on twos. Yeah. And I know that J.K. Simmons' character was not legitimate stop motion, but the way he, they animated him looked convincing. It looked like stop motion. And that character yeah. was was a pleasure to watch and to listen to because he just looked good on screen. And he, he interacted with the characters very well. And actually, my favorite scene in the whole movie was the scene where he's fighting Ellie, I think the character's name was. Correct. The black uh, officer. Yeah. That's That scene was great because it didn't involve Chip and Dale at all. And the animation really looked like the animated character was interacting with the real world, which yeah, is what Roger Rabbit good. sold so hard. Especially in the scene in Roger Rabbit where Eddie Valiant is like, Roger's like holding on to something and Eddie's like grabbing roger's pant legs and like pulling him back and pulling him back it really looked like he was pulling a cartoon character Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that the animation in roger rabbit was flawless it definitely wasn't no it was made in 1988 some stuff is dated it has some like blurry like especially if they're the characters are more in the background you see them kind of like blurry like shaking the animation shaking. Up yeah. close, it's a lot better. Right. Because they didn't have like motion tracking software to keep right. them in the same spot in the frame. That's fine. I mean, yeah, it's old. But stuff like, you know, when the animated characters were in the real world, I thought it looked really good. But when the real characters were in the animated world, like when Eddie goes to Toontown, not, not as good. No, it doesn't hold up as much. I think part of the reason why it just doesn't look as good is because Dean Cudney, such an amazing director of photography so good at lighting is the the, thing jurassic park you said yeah and back to the future did he do back to the future too back to the future as well yes no i mean yes as well not back to the future too i'm assuming he did all three but definitely the the first one but probably back to the future too as well correct yes so he did all those amazingly well-lit films and you can tell like part of the reason why the animation looks so good is because they were using his established lighting as reference which looks excellent exactly so then when they go into the cartoon world it just doesn't look as good shadow and stuff wise that's very true yeah because they weren't using like his dynamic lighting as the reference right as much i guess in order to sell that effect because a lot of cartoon imagery especially in toontown just looks like flat even lighting sort of how sort of how chip looked in uh, in rescue rangers yeah the only way to sell that effect on eddie would have been to completely light him in flat even lighting but that's exactly my point is that the beginning of roger rabbit it starts out with a scene that's completely animated and in that scene you have that flat even lighting that you see on Chippendale Rescue Rangers, not the movie, but the TV show, mm-hmm. right? Is that flat, even lighting. But that's because that is a cartoon character in a cartoon world with that's cartoon true. lighting. It's once you bring a cartoon character into a live action world that you then need to start matching the lighting and making sure it looks like a real character in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. That's a fair 
that's a fair thing. Because right. that was part of my thing is like, yeah, it's supposed to look really flat because the cartoon was flat. But if he's interacting with the real world, which is why I think that, yeah, like Eddie Valiant, this is his name? Yep. Bob Hot. Yeah. He doesn't look as good because he doesn't have like the shadows and stuff interacting with him. Yeah. As we were saying. Bob Hoskins. Equalization between the sexes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Spice, Spice Girls World. reference. Yeah. yeah. He was in that movie for about two seconds. It was funny though. It was a it was memorable funny. part. Yeah. He was also Mario. Yeah. Let's not talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what I do appreciate about Chip and Dale is that they were trying to mix a lot of different techniques and mediums Mm -hmm. so like they had the 2000s uncanny valley animation which i actually wish that they had explored a little bit more it's basically more of like they showed a couple different versions and then seth rogan's character what would have been really funny if is if they had a real character from polar express in there that would that would have been funny. funny I feel like there wasn't, that was part of the thing that made it so cool about Who Framed Roger Rabbit is they had like really big name characters. Yeah, like, like Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, yeah. Daffy Duck, and the other duck. What's Donald. His name? Donald, that's the one. <laughs> Those were pretty big scenes. And, you know, they had Porky, uh, Porky Pug, <laughs> Porky Pig, like being like, yeah. That, that's all folks and stuff. So Betty like that Boop was, and Dumbo, Pinocchio. Yeah, those are big references. Now we have Ugly Sonic and Whereas it's like this is a Disney movie. You couldn't pull out the big guns. Like the other film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, wasn't even Disney. They just borrowed characters from Disney. Yeah. They actually they they had like a clause. I don't know if I put this down in the trivia, but uh one of the clauses of being able to use the Disney characters was that they had to get as much screen time as the Warner Brothers characters, which is why you always see Bugs and Mickey on screen at the same time and Donald and Daffy on screen at the same time. So they get equal screen time. Right. So you're telling me that Disney in modern day who owns like basically everything couldn't have like lots of cool references to things. Yeah. Like they could have, they could have stuck in Mickey for like one line In Roger Rabbit. Mickey talks about getting killed. He's like, oh, if you don't have a parachute, you're going to get killed. That's what makes it so funny. <laughs> it's like you're telling me Disney that owns Mickey Mouse, very famously a copyright law thing. Yeah. Couldn't just have like, you know, Chip be like, hey, what's up? I haven't seen you in a long time. Mickey, like some kind of yeah. animation reunion or I don't know. I don't know. But but then that's that's another that brings in a bigger topic, which is like. All those references in Roger Rabbit wasn't what made Roger Rabbit good. It's not a good yeah, movie because true. you see Bugs Bunny and Daffy and and Porky Pig and all that on screen occupying the same space. It was good because it had good actors and good music and good animation, good lighting, good pacing. It was a good movie, you know? Yeah. Rescue Rangers isn't going to be good because it has a bunch of Seth Rogen characters appearing at once going, <laughs> although that was very funny. Really? you? I feel like they, they purposely put that in. Like, let's put in his stupid cartoon laugh. It was funny. You didn't think that was funny? That was like the only time during the whole movie that I snickered a little bit. I was like, okay, Seth Rogen on Seth Rogen on Seth, Seth Rogen. That's kind of funny. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You didn't it, think that was funny. That, that did 
didn't that didn't chuckle me as much as some of the other things. As much as uh, John Mulaney being like, somebody called me on my landline. That that's can't your, be good. That's your kind of humor. But that I thought it was so funny because it was clearly like him just talking, and it was stupid. Like it was. Stupid. It was so dry. It was like someone called me on my landline. That can't be good. <laughs> like it was so. It's still cracking stupid. you up. It was so stupid. So subversive. Like I feel like one of the problems with Chip and Dale is it was referencing things and being like, isn't this dumb? But then they did it. And it was like, is it funny that they're doing it or is it dumb? Like, they're like, you know, let's play our theme song played by a pop star. And, you know, it's like- nobody's gonna like, yeah. It's like, that's kind of funny that you're referencing this thing that we have a problem with. Like in Charlie Brown, they had like lots of pop music and it's like- Charlie Brown is all about jazz. Like, you telling me you couldn't put cool jazz music in it? Instead, it's a stupid pop song. Right. So I thought it was kind of funny that they were referencing it, but it's like, but you're doing the thing that you're saying is stupid. So, like, is it brilliant or the, is it stupid? The, the, yeah, this was another point, is that they're trying to seem like they're self-aware, right? Like, that yeah. they're in on the joke and being like, we're not going to have animated characters rap. All movies do that these days, and it's dumb. Oh, here we go. Look at me. I'm rapping. How did that happen? It's like you're not in on the joke. You're not self-aware if you're still doing it. You're acknowledging it, but you're not understanding why it's stupid and why you shouldn't do it because you're still doing it. Okay, but I still thought it was mildly funny that they weren't good at rapping, that they kept on being like, and I'm a whale. And it's like, yeah, because real characters don't know how to rap. Well, you know what? Interestingly enough, that also seemed like a reference to Roger Rabbit because Eddie Valiant does that at the end too. He's trying to make the weasels laugh and he's like, oh, I'm going to sing a little song here, but he's not good at that. That's not his thing. So he has trouble coming up with lyrics. Yeah. So it's like they lifted that idea right from Who That's Framed true. Roger Rabbit. But like, like Roger, Roger Rabbit, it was in character for Eddie Valiant to not be able to sing a little silly song because that he's a detective. He's not a tune. That's not his thing. But for Chippendale Rescue Rangers to be like, oh, we're going to do a rap and uh, it's funny. It's like, it's I, not funny. You're pointing out that it's dumb that movies do this these days, but then you're still doing it. So like, it's true. like you don't understand. Yeah, I think it would have been good if Dale did a decent rap because, you know, he's from Lonely Island. So that would have maybe been an interesting sort of reference. Like, oh, Dale is actually really good at rapping because, you know, in real life they have like, they they rap or whatever. But I think it would have been in character for Chip not to know what to do. And then maybe like Dale assists him with coming up with some kind of pattern. See, that's fair. But why does anybody need to rap at all? No. Why does this have to be a thing? Yeah, like people were pretty ruthless about Porky Pig rapping in Space Jam 2. Rightfully so. It's like, you're trying to be cool. <laughs> Stop trying to be cool. <laughs> Stop trying to be cool. Exactly. It's like Porky Pig is like a character from the 40s. Yeah. Do we really need to like 2020-ify him? That, that was one of my problems when we watched Space Jam 2, the trailer. I was like, oh, isn't it great that they're like 2D, 2D animation still? And then they like turned into 3D. Like, oh, we're going to turn into 3D now. I'm like, oh, you ruined it. Yeah, I believe I had a problem with that too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and going back to the rapping for a second, like, why does it seem like all movies has, have to do this now? If it's not a rap sequence, it's a pop song. Or if it's not a pop song, it's a dance sequence. Like, we saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which I actually really liked. I'm a big Sonic fan, and I thought it was great, and it had a lot of fan service. But the worst part of the movie was the stupid dance scene that they do in the middle of the movie to the stupid song that I don't even remember what it Uptown was because Funk. it was so stupid. Uptown Funk. Let's get Sonic dancing to Uptown Funk because that's what animated movies do these days. Like, why does this have to happen at all? Just they're, don't do it and move on. They're trying to appeal to what they think kids want but it's like is that what kids really want kids don't it's what they think kids want if that's what kids really want then maybe they are as dumb as movie or no studios but it's like kids are gonna enjoy things the same in a similar way that an adult would okay So like why are we trying to assume what a kid is gonna enjoy right what i mean it's like the same thing when we were watching the pokemon movie it's like the pokemon movie you know, it they're known for having various video game stings and various music stings right. in the show, but there was still pop music and it's like By the Pokemon movie you mean Pokemon the first movie. Correct. Like with Mewtwo. Yeah. Yeah. And they came out with that soundtrack and it's like what who is this music pleasing, right? Cuz if no. we think about it, like what is a movie from your childhood that had some sort of like pop song like smack dab in the middle of it that was totally out of place? That you were like, as a kid, you were like, yeah, this is awesome. See, I can't even think of anything because as a kid, I enjoyed like adult stuff. Right. Like Mel Brooks movies. Toy Story didn't need a pop song in the middle of it. It needed songs by Randy Newman that fit the vibe that the movie was going for. It would, Yeah. I mean, it was still a modern, quote unquote, modern artist. But Randy Newman is so peculiar. That He's it's so like, talented. <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the usual mode. Right. You know what I mean? So I really don't enjoy that. Like, it's just, you know, I wish they would just keep the vibe of what they're going for. Like, you know, Peanuts is jazz and Rescue Rangers. They, you know, they could have done more like 80s. Orchestral. Orchestral, sure. Yeah. 80s type music instead of making it like synth sounding and it's like i know that they're referencing the thing but they still right. do the thing yeah, yeah so. like we're, we're talking both about the rapping scene as well as the post malone cover of the theme yeah, song yeah. like they outright say it they're like oh is this one we're gonna have like a pop music version of the theme song even though nobody wants to hear it and they just want to hear the original and then they do it it's like it was funny that you acknowledged that 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 that's a thing that nobody wants but then you still did it so it's like you don't understand yeah. why it's a bad thing and why people don't like it. You're saying nobody wants this and then you're doing it anyway. Think through it. Like, why are you making this decision and putting this cover of this song in here? Also acknowledging that nobody wants to hear it. Why is that a decision that you're making? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's like when the first Transformers movie came out, the 2007 one. And it didn't have the theme song. And people were like, why doesn't it have the theme song? That's like the most iconic part of Transformers. It's like robots in disguise. You know, it's like, that's what people want to hear. Right. And so Rescue Rangers came off as so tone deaf, right? It's like Roger Rabbit, because we just watched it. It seemed to me like Roger Rabbit was made by people who love classic animation. Would you agree with that? That's true. And I just, you know, Robert Zemeckis is 
such a great director and he does Most sort of, of the time. sure <laughs> he does sort of the thing that i've heard bj novak say it's like if you want to be considered a good director you do like some weird technique things sure yeah you know to make yourself stand, stand out, out at the very least right right above the crowd right whereas like chippendale there was nothing too remarkable too remarkable about the cinematography or the the camera movements it, right. it just was and just the reason why the movie existed is again like roger rabbit seemed like it was made by people who love classic animation in order to show off you know pushing the limits of classic animation and doing new things with it whereas chippendale rescue rangers seemed like it was made by people who were trying to capitalize on nostalgia mm-hmm. well part of it is is roger rabbit was made in the 80s mm-hmm. but it takes place in the 40s yeah as a setup. which i love as a send up to Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, whereas this is 80s characters in the 2020s. Hate it. Wouldn't it be more interesting if it was in the 80s? Or the 90s even. That 90s would, is would, hot right you now. Would, you would get, that's true. You would get a lot of nostalgia boost. It would have been good if it was like Chippendale, they're like, top dogs or whatever and then that it's the 90s and they're considered over the hill and like there's new guys in town yeah and they could even they they could play with all the all the stupid stuff that disney did in the 90s when it came to like disney afternoon it's like trying to make things cool in the 90s we're gonna have huey dewey and louie with cool haircuts putting their hands in their pockets and slumping against the wall you know and uh, this is bad example but like Goofy Movie kind of did that, except Goofy Movie did it successfully, I would argue. is trying to, like, modernize and make things... What? What? I'm just thinking of the second one, where it's like, we're doing the X Games. Yes, that, Goofy Goof is on a skateboard. That is an example of doing it unsuccessfully, of sure. trying to trying to update Disney characters to make them cool, right? But yeah. but then yeah, instead of instead of doing the whole CGI thing, like, hey, I'm I'm Dale, I'm Andy Samberg, and I got CGI'd. They could have they could have tried to make him like '90s cool Dale, which I'm sure they probably did. There probably exists a Chip and Dale show from the '90s where they were like skateboarding or something. Or probably right, but so I think that could be really interesting because part of the appeal for me with uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is you know the period piece clothing. And, you know, the old style animation cartoons like the Looney Tunes and Betty Boop and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, calming down a little bit. Is it Bill Murray trivia time? Absolutely. I don't know why you would reference him, but, you know. Well, here we go. Here we go. I'll tell you what. On the special edition DVD, Robert Zemeckis recounts that he had stated in a newspaper interview that Bill Murray was his and executive producer Steven Spielberg's original choice for the role of Eddie Valiant. Oh, he would have been so good. But neither could get in contact with him in time. As it happens, Bill Murray in turn stated that when he read the interview, he was in a public place and screamed his lungs out because he would have definitely accepted the role. He would have been so good because he, to me, is one of the better parts of... Space Jam. <laughs> he just he just injects like all comes back to Space Jam. It's it's funny, but it's like he he just feels like he fits in with cartoon characters somehow. Yeah, he, he's such a good actor where he can play such dark, dramatic scenes and just you know dry sense of humor. Right. 
I, I think if it had been Bill Murray, he would have maybe brought a little too much Peter Venkman to the role. A little too sticky in his, like, like I'm thinking, like, Jim Carrey in his heyday, like, where it's I like, suppose. I'm Jim Carrey. Yeah, but, like, like, 1988, I think that's probably pretty close to Ghostbusters. That's true. So I don't, because I don't think he would have brought as much to the role as Bob Hoskins, because I do think Bob Hoskins brought a lot to the role. Like, Bob Hoskins is is English like he really he, yeah he has like a UK accent that's interesting and so that that to me says that he that he you know tried hard at this role to to create and craft a character and it felt like a real character you know definitely it didn't feel like it was just Bob Hoskins or just Andy Samberg being like hey I'm Andy yeah. Samberg if it was Bill Murray I would have been somewhat self-aware that it was you know this is Bill Murray like any yeah, any role he's in even you know I love Bill Murray me too but it's always like it's Bill Murray dressed up as a character. There's always like a shade of that. It's it, he doesn't really like fade away into a role. Right. He always brings his Bill Murrayness with him and to then the party. That's what you're looking for most right. of the time. Most of the time. Right. But but yeah, I think Bob Hoskins did a great job. And mm-hmm. and I have one final piece of trivia here. To get the feel of acting with cartoon characters, Bob Hoskins studied his three year old daughter playing with her imaginary friends. I think that's really interesting to act as if you're like, hey, there's nobody in front of me right now, but I'm going to pretend like I'm looking at somebody who has a consistent eyeline and who's going to be interacting with me, even though I can't reach out and touch them. That's true. I think that that takes talent. I I agree. I feel like with Ellie in one of the scenes in Chip and Dale, where she's like supposed to be looking at them through a window. I think this is definitely maybe like the script supervisor's fault or something (laughs) is like they're not really on screen at the same time. She's looking through the window and they're looking at her. And I feel like her eyeline is too high to actually be looking at them. Right. But it's like she didn't know the character, like the actor didn't know because she probably didn't like there was nothing there or, you know, whatever. It was different than the animation. It's like they should have been keeping track of that better. I don't know. Right. Well, I guess to wrap up our thoughts, I would give Chippendale maybe a 5 out of 10, which is very low for me. I think I would normally give a movie like this a 6 out of 10, just based on how much I didn't like it. But because there was so much wasted potential in what it could have done, I'm going to do a 5. 5 out of 10 or 2.5 out of 5. What would you give it out of 5 out of 10, whatever you want? Let me just give some final thoughts. Yeah. Um, there was a couple moments that I snickered at and I did overall enjoy myself. There was definitely wasted potential. I felt like they could have done so much more with, uh, the different IPs that they had and, you know, they could have done a different story. I didn't mind yeah. that it was like a mission because they were rescue rangers. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I didn't I hate Sergeant everything Putty. about it, but. I like that there was a Muppet. You know, yeah. I like that there was different references to things. One one aspect that we might be missing out on here is fan service to the original Rescue Rangers. Like, maybe if you were a big Rescue Rangers fan and you've seen every episode and you're watching this, that there would be a lot there for you. That's part of why I enjoyed Lightyear so much is because I'm a big Toy Story fan and I watched the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command TV show. And I felt, like, integrated into that world. And so I recognized things. And it felt like things in that movie were there for me. And I was like... I enjoy this, you know, but I recognize that people who didn't, who don't like Buzz Lightyear or Toy Story as much really hated that movie. 
So we might be coming at this or I might be coming at this from the perspective of somebody who hasn't seen all that. And the same with Sonic 2. I loved Sonic 2 because I'm a Sonic fan. Mm-hmm. But if you came at it not as a Sonic fan, you probably hate it. There was there was some to like about Sonic 2. And it was, again, it was like, it was an enjoyable watching experience. But I didn't love everything about it. And it had the annoying pop music. Right. And it's like you could have <laughs> used original source music. Yeah. For san- fa- for <clears throat> fan service. For fan service. Yeah. So if you're if you're a fan, a big fan of the original Rescue Rangers and you felt like this had a lot to offer for for other fans, feel free to weigh in, drop a comment or something and let us know how that experience was for you. But Hannah, you're wrapping up your thoughts on the movie right. in general. You can get back to that. My my thought at the end is when they were doing sort of the the big fight with Peter Pan turned into a cat is they're maybe mm-hmm. doing a reference to the Chippendale video game where they were sort of platforming up of like a pole. There was like bo- boxes in like a dock and like there was like a red light on top. I feel like that was something that would have been in the video game. Interesting, yeah. Could have been. And uh, so things that I did like about it is, so there's a part where Dale is like, I'm going to wear a top hat and a suit and like it's totally going to go correctly. Like, they're just going to be all about this. Mm -hmm. And Chip's like, no, you're an idiot. And it's like, normally in a movie like that, it's like, oh, it does go according to plan. But to them, it like, it got them captured. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, of course that's not going to work because that's stupid. (laughs) And so then, like, so I'm glad that they didn't do, like, movie logic in that way. Yeah. And they were also trying to be a bit subversive that they were, like, they were trying to plant that Ellie was the one that was going against the back. But then they're, like, no, it was actually Putty. And it was, like... Oh, so cliche. Why why don't fix what's not broken? I was, like, that's kind of funny that they're kind of, like, being subversive by being... Non-subversive. Subversive, yeah. yeah. So that was, I'll give it points for that, that. That was pretty good. And speaking of the wardrobe, real quick, when you're talking about the top hat, when when they were like, oh, just disguise yourself in anything, and they pop out of the Indiana Jones place, and he has the hat and jacket that he that was similar to what he wore in Rescue Rangers, even though I was like mentally checked out of most of the movie and falling asleep and like really not into it, I did get that like rush to my heart and brain, that little serotonin hit, seeing him in that outfit. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and they played happened. the Indiana Jones music, which yeah. is great. I yeah. love that music. Again, Steven Spielberg reference. It all it all connects. Well, I'm sure like they're kids of the 80s, the Lonely Island guys. Right. Like that would have... That's true. All of this is like probably super nostalgic to them. They're probably like huge, like Steven Spielberg heads. You know what I mean? Who wouldn't have been growing up in that era? Like, he had so many great hits. Well, the Batman E.T. thing I actually thought was mildly funny. I was like, (laughs) that would be an interesting movie. There were a couple jokes like that that I was like, if the rest of the movie was hitting harder, I probably would have laughed at that. But I'm in such a bad mood that it didn't land. Yeah, that's fair. But that's just me. So, rating? Rating. Well, again, I hate, like, stupid humor where it's like, they're doing the jinx and they're like, let's do a jinx. Let's call the record plays. And then they just like went too far with it. And it's like, no, <laughs> I just, I hate super like with comedy. It should be rule of three at most. I prefer like callback jokes to some degree. It can be like if it's rule really of th- good rule of three in the moment. And then a callback later. Right. 
Sure. I would argue. And rule of three, it has to be really smart how they present it. It has to be, like, sneak up on you. It can't be, like, hitting you over the head, like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's like, shut up! Yeah, like, you it prefer has the be... long play, like, yeah. the community long play, Beetlejuice, 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 like, over the course of a season. 100%, because it's like, look how much thought they put into that. That's so smart, instead of just, like... Isn't it so funny that we're talking fast and we're saying the same line over again? That's not smart writing. Yeah. So, so that's your rating? Yes. <laughs> so overall, I, I found it fun, but I found it fun in the same way that I would find, like, Wild Wild West. And it's like, that's Which not, I still haven't seen. That's not a good movie. Yeah. Or Canadian Bacon. So. Uh, Canadian Bacon was funny. It's like, that was enjoyable. And, you know, I'd maybe watch it with my nephew or something. You know, and I would find enjoyment watching it with a child and seeing it through their eyes. But would I recommend it to another adult or would I rewatch it again on my own? I don't know. Maybe, maybe a six. Out of ten? Yeah, because there there was a few chuckles, but you're right that the chip animation wasn't that good. And there was some kind of bad jokes and they were trying to do a send up and they were trying to pay homage and they were trying to reference things that they thought were stupid but then they also did them so that was sort of a point against it but it was also interesting but it was also maybe a little cliche so i it was a just mixed a, bag. it was really a mixed bag yeah who framed roger rabbit not a perfect movie no but it was enjoyable to rewatch for sure it's an imperfect classic i would give it an easy eight um mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not one of my favorite movies but it's no. just a movie that i that i respect and that there's a lot to love about it there's definitely know? a lot to if, love if about anything it. i found the plot of both roger rabbit and uh chip and Dale, uh, like slightly confusing slightly contrived like why is it that when it there's like a hard-boiled detective mystery it's all about like oh, land development and Putting in a highway, you know, like Chinatown and all that. It's like... Yeah. Okay, to me, that mm. felt like too inside Hollywood. Mm. Is That's like a huge complaint in LA is that the traffic's bad and that there's like tons of highways. Right. So it felt like they were really like playing it to the the Oscar voter people kind of thing. I like, uh, Or like the people that live in LA. Uh, isn't it so funny that there used to be like good transit and then... Like, some evil, stupid people put in a highway. <laughs> now, we have, now we have lots of traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, moving on and looking ahead to the future, unlike most episodes where we kind of have a little back and forth debate on, on what we're kind of looking at to watch ahead, but we're we're not sure, it's an easy, an easy vote for what we're watching next because this episode was originally going to be these two movies. Mm-hmm. But you really wanted to watch Chip and Nail, and and I wanted to I wanted to give you that good vibes that you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we finished it, I wanted to watch Roger Rabbit, so that became this episode. Next episode is most definitely going to be Light and Magic, right? And El Mariachi, right? Light and Magic is the documentary that just came out. I believe it's on Disney Plus about Industrial Light and Magic, the effects studio that was created for and worked on Star Wars, and went on to work on countless other films and and do amazing work so excited for that i'm excited to see like old footage of that what i hate about documentaries is when they show people in modern day and they're like yeah it was great times man 
And it's but like, not no. actually have any archival footage. Yeah, it's yeah. this sort of the tell don't show thing. So I'm really hoping, since it's a pretty iconic company, that they have a lot of footage for it. So yeah. that'll be really fun. What what, what I want to see, I really want to see like blown takes. You know, like I want to mm. see, I want to see a side by side. Like, oh, here's the take of this thing blowing up that ended up in Star Wars, and here's the take that we did right before that one, where the model got totally messed up and everyone screwed up and it was hilarious and awful, and we had to spend like. 18 hours redoing that model for to redo the tape. Wow. That's what I want to see. But yeah, I like to see like the the triumphs and the the failures. Mm-hmm. Like that's all part of it is that's what makes movies that made us so interesting. It's like, oh no, like production was going to shut down because of this thing, but then we got picked up by this other guy and then we went around and started telling them and like just like you yeah. hear about the failures, but then it's also their success. So it's like it's like rooting for an underdog, kind of. Yeah, I hope it's a fun-loving documentary. I, ho- I hope it's a combination of the movies that made us and also Empire of Dreams, which is mm-hmm. the like two and a half-ish hour documentary that came on uh, uh, one of the old Star Wars DVDs. That's a great documentary about the original Star Wars trilogy. I highly recommend it. Another one of my favorite documentaries. So I hope it's kind of those combined. I would imagine so because... Obviously, a lot of Empire of Dreams is about George Lucas not being able to do things with the resources he already had. So then right. he created a lot of what modern day filmmakers implement now. I know, like so much. So like, much. Industrial Light and Magic, Skywalker Sound. Did he have a hand in creating like Dolby Digital? Yep. I and, think he did. And, and non-destructive editing. Yeah, non-linear film you, editing, yeah. Which is what you use every day. And Pixar. And I use implement, I use photo versions of non-destructive editing. Yeah, like George Lucas gets made fun of a lot for the prequels and all that, but he contributed so much to filmmaking. He, he's a pioneer of filmmaking. Whether or not he is an amazing director. He, he's not. He <laughs> Well, the problem is with auteurs, if they're not great, is people are like, oh, you're so good. You're so good. You get to make all the decisions. And they're not like, you know what? I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should go in a different direction with this. Like with the Lucio Ball movie, where (laughs) it was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. It's like, oh, I love you, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, you're so great. Oh, you did the social network. You get to make all the decisions and not being like, no, Lucio Ball shouldn't be played by her. <laughs> yeah, I'm a strong proponent proponent of writers' rooms where it's yeah. like you know m- maybe one person will write the entirety of a script, but then you should still have people to bounce these ideas off of that aren't just yes men that are like Agreed. great idea, Mr. Lucas. But I will commend George Lucas for being really like steadfast in in what he wanted because I've watched I've been you know on YouTube once you recommended one thing and you watch it and you like it then you recommended like ten more things. I've been watching a lot of short clips of George Lucas interviews lately where it's very clear that like he made movies for himself. He made the movies that he wanted to make. He didn't make movies to pre to please critics. You Certainly. Know? And critics will be like, well, I don't think it should have been done that way. And George Lucas is like, whether or not the way that you think it should be done was the right way or the wrong way, it wasn't the way that I wanted to do it. And I did it the way that I wanted to do it. And that's the way it is. Well, I respect that a lot, is that he had a vision, and obviously that vision paid off in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's like, say what we will about the, you know, the 2000s trilogy. Mm -hmm. People at the time poo-pooed on it, but people still watch it today. 
Yeah. So there's definitely some merit there. For sure. And I mean, he cast Ewan McGregor, which was a brilliant decision. Chef's so. kiss. So very excited for Light and Magic. I don't know. Is it actually a movie or is it a series? I think it's like a mini series. I kind of hope it's like, a series. Like a four-parter or something like that. That that I'm pumped about. We'll, yeah. we'll cover it on, on the podcast anyway, even if it's not a movie, just because I'm so excited about it. And I'm sure I'll have lots it's, to say. It's about filmmaking. So yeah, I, exactly. I think it really fits. And then... That's the tone of the next episode is right. going to be filmmaking. El Mariachi, I just read the book Rebel Without a Crew after years of reading part of it and then putting it down and then reading part of it, putting it down. Mm-hmm. I, I finally can finally convinced you to finish it. I finally it. finished it. It is great. And, you know, there's a lot to love about that. And I'm excited to see what the actual movie is about because the book is about him making El Mariachi his first feature, film, yeah. his first feature in the middle of college at like the age of like 20 something as a newlywed. Yeah. So. So we'll be able exciting. to relate to it as like, you know, independent sort of filmmakers slash video media media creatives people who went to college for film put it that way you i would say you're definitely a filmmaker i am a camera person yes i don't make another documentary that we should watch yes that by dick johnson the director of that yeah dick johnson is dead so and i mean i have so many films that i'm like oh man i really want to see this like i want to see harvey that was referenced and who roger who framed roger rabbit with um oh the yeah guy from vertigo you when, you caught that reference and i i didn't understand okay so what's the guy's name from vertigo well, i don't know why his name escapes me the actor or the character the actor uh jimmy stewart jimmy stewart jimmy stewart plays a guy that has like that sees like an invisible rabbit, so it's like a film about like uh, mental health issues. Okay. Oh, okay. Now I get the reference. Yeah. So he's like, blah, I, blah, very they're funny. like, oh, I see very a rabbit. Yeah. So yeah. it would have made more sense back then. So next time you see us, we'll be talking about Light and Magic and El Mariachi. Very excited for both. I yeah. haven't seen El Mariachi. I I read the book. It was my copy of the book, actually, that I yes. lent to you for, for years and years. Before we got married, I lent it to you. Then we <laughs> Probably got married. before we were dating, almost. Yeah. And yes, definitely before we were dating. And then when we got married, we pooled our book collections, and I was reunited with it once again. And so I've seen it. I've seen El Mariachi and Desperado. Um, right. So maybe we'll watch Desperado sometime in the future. But, At some uh, point. There's a, there's a lot of things on my list that I'm amped for. Yeah. So. So a very, very excited for the next episode and see you then. See you then. Have fun. It was a long episode. I bet.